You guys ready for Christmas? In the words of Pax, in the words of Pax, Mismas is here. That's how he says it, and I can't get over it. I say it. I don't say Christmas is here anymore. I just say Mismas is here. It's just changing it all. So I give you guys all permission to start using Paxton's way of saying Christmas, okay? <laughs> Mismas. Well, hello, church. Merry Christmas. We are so glad you are here. Um, we believe in it's going to be a great day, and uh, you got here, and um, are you ready for a word? Um, I'm... I'm excited about this message. Uh, God's been stirring it in me all week as I've prepared, and I'm just excited to see what he does in these next few moments. So are you leaned in? Let's be leaned in. Let's be ready to hear. You know, the past few weeks, we have been in this series called Discover or Rediscovering the Wonder and how we do that with the Christmas message. And Jared talked last week about how wonder can settle much like a snow globe. You know, all the snow settles at the bottom of the snow globe. And, it, and, and sometimes wonder does that. And sometimes you need to stir up the wonder. And I want to remind us today, as we are here for this worship service, is that God is here. He is with us. His word says so. And his presence changes everything. It changes everything. Have you ever been in a room with someone of great influence and you didn't even know it? Has that ever happened to you? Well, it happened to Jer a few years ago. He actually was on an airplane, and uh, he was coming home from a trip, and Jer flies so much that every once in a great while, he will get a free upgrade to first class. And this flight was that flight. He got upgraded, so he got to live the bougie first class life that day. And so he sat down, and this flight actually was a little delayed for a little while, and so he just broke out his laptop, started working, and he noticed this woman, um, took notice of this woman, not in that way, okay? So this woman, took notice of this woman, because she was, she was working, you could tell she was flying with coworkers, and they happened to be working, and they were collaborating on something, so he just kind of took notice of her, and so he was, you know, a flight took off, he was doing his work, and they landed, um, um, there was an older woman behind him who started to get a little upset because since their flight was delayed, she was now going to miss her connection. And so this woman that Jerry had taken notice of a little earlier overheard her and kind of started to ask her, well, what flight are you on? Um, where are you headed? And when she got the information from the older woman who was visibly upset, this woman took out her phone, made a phone call, and then hung up, and after she did, she talked to the woman, Jer overheard her, <laughs> and said, hey, listen, don't worry, they're going to hold your flight for you. I'm going to hold your, and Jer's like, ears perked up, he's like, okay, this, this lady, she's somebody. <laughs> she's not just anybody, right? She's somebody. She, she had some influence, she had some power, um, and he didn't even realize it. Later, he found out that she was the president of McDonald's USA, so she probably flies a little bit, has got a little status, so, so much so that she ended up stopping a flight. She wasn't flashy, yet she had great influence. Sometimes you can be in the presence of greatness and not even realize it. And Christmas is a story of greatness in disguise. 
Matthew chapter 2 is Matthew's version of the story of Christmas. Last couple weeks we've looked at Luke chapter 2. Well, today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read the story. It's found in verses 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and read the Christmas story found in Matthew. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, the Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There is a lot happening in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. There's a lot of stuff going on. Let's start with the wise men, okay, or the magi. I know we've heard the song, right? We three kings of Orient are... Right? Has anybody else heard that old-fashioned? No, okay, all five of you have heard that old, that old um, Christmas carol, right? Well, they weren't kings, okay? They weren't kings. They were most likely spiritual leaders in the religious court of their country of origin, most likely Persia or Babylon. And these men would use scientific and diplomatic and religious elements in their work. And theologians believe that the journey of the Magi or the wise men from the east to Jerusalem took up to nine months to two years. It would have been a long and often dangerous and difficult journey. And in contrast to our Christian tradition of just three wise men traveling by themselves on camels on a desert, you know, over a desert hill, these magi were most likely representatives of one or more great nations coming to pay homage to a king, coming to, to, to give their worship. So they would have traveled with not just themselves, but probably a military escort and a sizable entourage of servants. So when they rolled into town, into Jerusalem, guess what? It would have been a statement. Have any of you ever seen uh, Aladdin when Prince Ali rolls into, I can't remember the name of the town. That's what it was. It wasn't exactly that. But it wasn't just three people on a camel that everybody else is like, I'm used to seeing camels. No, no, this was an entourage. So this is why King Herod, it says in the story we just read, and all of Jerusalem, Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled or disturbed. 
So the wise men then, they ask for an audience with King Herod. And when they have an audience with him, they ask him this question, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, there's just one problem with this question, you guys, is that Herod was the current king of the Jews. So essentially, they were saying, hey, you, king of the Jews, where is the newly born king of the Jews? Okay. Herod's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're here to worship him. We're here to worship him. See, there are crazy, which we don't understand in just reading these 12 verses, the backstory, right? We, which we don't understand is that there are crazy political and even geopolitical ramifications to the visit of this magi. And Herod gets uncomfortable and he gets disturbed and he starts working behind the scenes to figure out where the Christ, the anointed one, the true king, was born. And Herod's throne is being threatened, so he goes on the offensive. And he ends up trying to go to great lengths to try and prevent this newly born king of the Jews from ever taking his rightful place. In fact, later on in Matthew chapter 2, if you read a little further, you see that Herod orders the murder of all baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem just so he could try and snuff out the life of the newborn king. So he'd never take his place. But Joseph and Mary are warned by an angel to flee to Egypt, and so they go, and this child, Jesus, escapes death. All of this drama, okay, can you just see it? There's, uh, I know, sometimes, again, those 12 verses, we read them. There's so much drama happening, okay, in the background. It's all because Jesus, listen, is not just another child. He's not just another child. Jesus is a king. Jesus is royalty, and this stirs things up, and I pray that it stirs things up in us today, too, because... You can give that a hand clap. You want to be stirred up today. Okay. But even beyond an earthly king, Scripture tells us that he is the king of kings. He is the king of heaven and earth, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16 says this about our Jesus. He is the blessed and only sovereign, only sovereign he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Our God is magnificent. Jesus is incredible, and he is king. What does a king mean? Okay, what's the definition of a king? It means this, the leader of the people, prince, commander, lord of the land. What does Lord mean? Lord means he to whom a person or things belong. It all belongs to him, about which he has the power of deciding. And the birth story of Jesus in Matthew, listen, the birth story, it begins with this acknowledgement that Jesus is king. And our faith requires us to start right there as well. Jesus is king. He's our leader, period. <laughs> He's in charge. We belong to him. Following Jesus starts with this understanding. And see, we're not used to this idea 
of a king because we live in a democracy, right? Where our vote counts. If we don't like what our leader is doing, then guess what? We have an opportunity in four years to cast our vote and vote somebody else in, right? But when we said yes to Jesus and we said yes to being a part of the kingdom of God, we said yes to his divine leadership in our lives. We essentially said, no longer does my vote count. But we don't like that. <laughs> and I can even feel it a little bit in the room as I'm talking. But when you begin to understand that he is a good king, he is a righteous king. He is a holy king. He is a king full of justice and mercy, grace and truth. Guess what? You understand then that you can trust. You can trust his sovereign rule in your life. You can trust it. And in Matthew 2, we see that both the Magi and Herod had knowledge that Jesus was king. But they express their knowledge of this truth in two very different ways. And can I just present to you today that I believe 2,000 years later, Jesus as king still solicits these two same responses. We either worship or we withhold. We either worship or we withhold. See, the Magi took the knowledge that Jesus was king, and they went to great lengths to find him. They traveled for months, and why did they do so? To worship him, scripture says, and to lavish great gifts on the newborn king, to pay homage to him. They worshiped the child king. Herod, on the other hand, when hearing that the rightful king had been born, also went to great lengths to find him. But he did it in a completely different way, deceiving, lying, even murdering. Why? To withhold the throne from the rightful king. To withhold it. Herod didn't want to give up his throne. He was in charge. He was successful. He had wealth. He had servants. He had influence. He had power. He was willing to do whatever he had to within his mere, listen, mere mortal power to keep what he had. He didn't worship the child king. He was threatened by the child king. They both knew this newborn king, this newborn baby was the king as evidenced by their responses to him, but they responded very differently. My question for us today, when it comes to our knowledge of Jesus as king, is do you worship or withhold? Do you worship or withhold? Do you submit to the king or do you resist his leadership in your life? Do you bow your knee to his lordship or do you stiffen your neck to his ways? Do you stand in awe and reverence of him or do you sit in defiance of his requests? Do you place him as king of your heart and your life and your actions or do you see him as a rival to your own well-laid plans? And I know this is a little heavy, but as I have prayed and prepared and I've labored 
over this message today, I just could not shake this thought that maybe, and not all of us, but even me as your pastor, have maybe drifted from recognizing, acknowledging, acknowledging Jesus as king. Perhaps our view or my view, okay, so this is not just on you, this is me. My view of God has become too small. It's too small, and when we do this, we lose the absolute wonder of who he is. One of the ways we gain the wonder again is by acknowledging Jesus as king. So this weekend, before we dive into all the Christmas festivities, right, which I'm so excited about, can we open up, before we open a present, can we open up our hearts, perhaps once again, to the majesty and the grandness of God in our lives? Can we do that? God is described as holy, above all, righteous, full of majesty, yet God gave us his one and only son, Jesus, as a baby, a child, helpless and vulnerable, reliant on a mother and father. Divinity came as humanity. Wow. So the Magi, after leaving their meeting with Herod, the wise men head to Bethlehem. And guess where they arrive at? A house. A house. The new king doesn't live in a palace. He lives in a humble home. This king isn't surrounded by an imperial court. He is cared for by his parents, his peasant parents, his mother and father. I wonder what the Magi were discussing as their large entourage came upon Bethlehem. And the star settled over the humble home of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. I would gather that they were a little shocked by the humble surroundings that now the toddler king called home. They maybe were thinking to themselves, okay, maybe we followed the wrong star this time. Did we take a wrong turn somewhere? Did our celestial GPS have the wrong address plunked into it? Certainly, this isn't where the new king lives. I wonder if there was a part of them that was like, we came all the way for this. The king isn't what we thought he'd be. Are we in the right place? <laughs> this isn't where we thought we'd end up. Has this journey been worth it? This isn't at all what we were expecting. Sometimes Jesus isn't what we expected either. He doesn't work the way we want him to. The journey can be difficult or lonely. Sometimes we're like, is this all worth it? Maybe we can't all the way frame what we were hoping for, but man, this Jesus thing has been way different than what we thought. But the wise men push past what they expected. And what did they do? They walked right through the front door. That's what it says. They walked right through the front door, right? It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. 
Church, don't allow your unmet expectations to keep you from worshiping Jesus. Don't allow it. Don't allow what you thought Jesus should be and do stop you from walking into his presence. He came all the way from heaven for you. For you. And as I look around this room, I know so many of your stories. And I know that the holidays, you guys, I know, the holidays can have a great heaviness for many people. Christmas Thanksgiving this season, it actually amplifies feelings of sadness and loss. Because maybe life hasn't turned out the way you wanted. That relationship wasn't supposed to end that way. You didn't sign up for that health diagnosis or that financial downfall this year. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you are just heartbroken. No matter what your year has been, I want to invite you to still enter the presence of Jesus. The door is open for you, even when things haven't gone like you expected, when they didn't look like how you thought they should. The Magi didn't allow a small home or a small child to cause them to have a small view of God, a small view of the king, rather, that they were there to worship. They didn't allow it. Christmas holds a message of accessibility. Love came down to us. It walked among us. He walked among us. Divinity, like I said, become humanity. But don't allow accessibility to diminish his majesty. Don't allow it. Don't allow the fact that he was just a baby to diminish his majesty, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is high above everything, and upon entering the home, the Magi fell down. It's not because they tripped over the front doormat, okay? They fell down. They purposely bowed down, and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. This was their mission. From the very beginning, we read at the beginning of Matthew, right? Where is this newborn king of the Jews? Why have we come to worship him? This was their very mission. What is worship? What is worship? It means this, to reverence him. To acknowledge him as God. Worship, you guys, is so much more than just singing songs on a Sunday morning. That is just one aspect. One aspect. Eugene Peterson has this quote, and he says it like this, and I love it. It says, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling that is expressed as an act of worship. I wonder if after the Magi had traveled all that way, they were probably a little tired. (laughs) It's been a really long journey. They might not have felt like worshiping, but they understood whose presence they were in, and so they fell down and they worshiped him. Worship is a state of the heart that extends to all of life. It's not just an act, it's a state of life. Extends to everything, the way we work, how we conduct ourselves in our relationships and our businesses, how we handle money and practice generosity. All of these things, every aspect of our life, how we talk, it's all an act of worship. You know, and I've, I've heard people say before, that 
they can't serve a God. They just can't see themselves serving a God who needs to be worshiped. Do you know this? God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need it. When the Magi worshiped Jesus, when they bowed down and worshiped him and opened up their treasures and gave him gifts, those things did not change who Jesus was. Those things didn't change who he was. Their worship didn't add value to Jesus. He was a king, regardless if they worshiped him or not. And the same thing happens when we worship Jesus. When we give him reverence with our lives and our actions and our words, we don't add value to him. We don't make him more of who he is. Scripture, he says of himself, I am the great I am. He is complete without me. He is complete without my worship. But what worship does is it draws me nearer to him. It draws us nearer to him. How many of you in here, you need more of Jesus in your life? You want more of Jesus in your life. See, worship doesn't change God. It changes me. Worship isn't for me. We don't sing songs at the beginning of service for you. But something happens in me. It happens in me. When I bow my heart, when I bow my life to the King, worship creates wonder. Wonder can create worship, but guess what? To stir up wonder, there has to be worship. Worship stirs up, it creates wonder. I love how John Ortberg sums it up. It says, I need to worship. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and I plod through life with blinders on. Maybe one of the reasons why we can't see things clearly right now is because we're just not worshiping. We haven't really recognized Jesus as king, leader, above all, king of our hearts. See, my worship doesn't make him a king, but it makes him my king. He's my king, and he's trustworthy, and he's good, and he's kind and he's faithful, and he's true, and he's full of purpose, and he's holy. That is who our God is. And this is, this is what I know. Philippians chapter two says this, therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who we serve. And this is what I know. There is one day where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But as for me in my house, guess what? We will worship him here. We will worship him now. He has all majesty in my life. I will not hold back. I will worship him. So church, let's worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords with our hallelujah.